The Coming Sunday Law. This is number three in the series, and it is a continuation of tape number two. First, let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, send to us thy mighty Holy Spirit during this presentation to awaken our minds to the coming crisis. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us turn first to Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 6. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Having chosen this scripture as the basis for this most important study, the next quotations that I read will be for the purpose to discover what God's last day prophet had to say concerning this text. Permit me to read several of these references which captured my attention. I shall first read in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 336. Great pains should be taken to keep this subject before the people. The solemn fact is to be kept not only before the people of the world, but before our own churches also. Why? That the day of the Lord will come suddenly, unexpectedly. The fearful warning of the prophecy is addressed to every soul. Let no one feel that he is secure from the danger of being surprised. Let no one's interpretation of prophecy rob you of the conviction of the knowledge of events which show this great event is near at hand. This is exactly what I aim to do in this message. And then in Acts of the Apostles, page 260, I read, There are in the world today many who close their eyes to the evidences that Christ has given to warn men of his coming. They seek to quiet all apprehension, while at the same time the signs of the end are rapidly fulfilling, and the world is hastening to the time when the Son of Man shall be revealed in the clouds of heaven. Paul teaches that it is sinful to be indifferent to the signs which are to precede the second coming of Christ. Those guilty of this neglect, 
he calls children of the night and of darkness. He encourages the vigilant and the watchful with these words, but ye brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief? Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, with this divine inspiration before us, let us continue into our subject of the coming Sunday law that will come just before the return of Jesus. I believe with all my heart that the Sabbath test of earth's final crisis is just around the corner. Our church leadership seems to be sound asleep, for seldom do we hear any preaching about the coming global Sunday laws from our pulpits today, nor do we find much of anything about this in our church papers. There is one exception. Recently, I obtained a copy of a book written by G. Edward Reed entitled Sunday's Coming. This book contains eye-opening evidences that these are the very last days. G. Edward Reed is a Seventh-day Adventist ordained minister. He is the director of stewardship for the North American Division of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In looking over this book, I noticed something that I felt was strange. I found that it was not printed by the Review and Herald Publishing Association, nor does it have our publishing house insignia on it. That's very odd. Of course, I know that this book is in great demand and that in selling of this book, it will bring in much money for profit. But I wonder, why was it not printed by the Review and Herald? Could it be because of the relationship our church now seems to be having with Rome in fellowship? The facts are very glaring as we look at the statistics and that which is being printed outside of our church structure. For we are hearing of unmistakable language of plans for global Sunday laws, which are the mark of papal authority. Recently, I received a paper entitled The Sabbath Test, prepared by World Watch, whose address is P.O. Box 363, Picton, New South Wales, 2571, Australia. I found this to be the most precise presentation of present-day Sunday events that is taking place in our world, and I shall quote extensively from it, for I have obtained a permission to do so. Somehow, we tend to forget that we are living near the end of the last decade, of the last century of the second millennium A.D. 
in a few short years, if Christ does not come, we will be entering a new decade, a new century, and a new millennium, a time unparalleled in human history. The last few years leading up to the year 2000 are viewed by respected political, economic, and religious representatives and commentators as intensely significant, indeed crucial, to the implementation of the diabolical global plan for a new world order. This means that a new economic system and a new world religion and the final inauguration of a new age Christ is soon to come, whom they expect will usher in the millennium of peace on this earth. And don't forget, this is just about three years away. God says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, when they cry peace and safety, then cometh sudden destruction. Did you know that the crucial issue fundamental to this plan of a millennium of peace is the enforcement of the mark of papal authority, which is the observance of a Sunday Sabbath, and this is none other than the introduction of the new world religion. Under this plan, we read the following information from the pages of The Keys of This Blood by Malachi Martin. I'm reading from page 15 and 16. Quote, The world and all that's in it, our way of life as individuals and as citizens of the nations, our families and our jobs, our trade and commerce and the money, our educational systems and our religious and our cultures, even the badges of our national identity, which most of us have taken for granted, all will have been powerfully and radically altered forever. No one can be accepted, accepted from its effect. No sector of our life will remain untouched. What these competitors are talking about is the most profound and widespread modification of international, national, and local life that the world has seen in a thousand years. In other words, what he's trying to tell you is that there is going to soon be a return to the dark ages of serfdom and slavery. It seems to be a little known today that the leadership of the papacy has declared his intentions to be the head of the new world order. Again, I am reading from the Keys of This Blood on page 492 in which it tells us that the New World Order, and I'm quoting, is to be on the basis of Roman Catholic Christianity, unquote. 
My dear beloved, we had better wake up. It's coming. I found that there are 23 distinguished writers, Catholic, non-Catholic, political, theologians, social scientists, lawyers, journalists, which have written about John Paul's vision of the new world order. And these can all be found in a book published by George Weigel, published in 1992 by the Ethics and Public Policy Center of Washington, D.C. In 1994, Catholic and Evangelical representatives signed an historic document of unification, which they called Evangelicals and Catholics Together, the Christian Mission of the Third Millennium. This was so important that it was followed by a papal encyclical of May 1995 in which the Pope stated for the first time in a thousand years, and I quote, that they all may be one, unquote, calling on all Christians to unite under the Vatican. Now they are boldly telling the world what we may expect. And please note carefully this quotation that I have taken from the book written by William Cooper, entitled, Behold a Pale Horse, and I am reading from page 90. Pope John Paul II has challenged world leaders by claiming that the people of the world already recognize the absolute authority of Rome. Why? Because they observe the Sunday Sabbath that was ordered by the Pope in the Council of Laodicea, A.D. 364, unquote. Now, isn't that amazing? This day was decreed in the Council of Laodicea to destroy the Saturday Sabbath keeping. I'm quoting on. Christians must not Judaize as resting on the Sabbath, but must work on that day. But if any should be found to be Judaizers, let them be anathema for Christ. Unquote. And so boldly, Rome declares what is about to come. And you better believe it, friend. It is on this basis that the Pope believes he has the authority, because almost all the world is keeping Sunday, that he can now order a global Sunday rest for the entire new world order. In his Antinomus, Anonymous, page 21-22, he urges that, and I'm quoting, that the state must guarantee to the workers the exercise of this freedom. But what freedom? I'm quoting on. The need for Sunday rest, so that people may turn their thoughts to heavenly things and to the worship which they owe to Almighty God. In this regard, one may well ask whether existing laws and the practice of industrial societies effectively ensure in our day the exercise of this basic right to Sunday 
rest, unquote. Let us never forget that Catholic authority says that the change from Sabbath to Sunday is the distinguishing M-A-R-K, the mark of its authority to commend men under sin. That's a quote, and I have just read it from Tuberville, D.D., An Abridgment of Christian Doctrine, a Roman Catholic work, page 58. Another quote from Catholic Record London, Ontario. I read, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact, unquote. And you will remember from Cardinal Gibbons through H.F. Thomas, his chancellor, as he wrote about Sunday, and I quote, it is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters, unquote. And so today, this is why the Pope is pushing around this world for Sunday laws, especially in Europe. I am quoting from Church and State, May 1992. The Blue Laws issue is expected to be continuous throughout Europe as the European Economic Community, that's the EEC, struggles to determine policy for member nations. Pope John Paul II continues to press for mandatory Sunday closing laws in all EEC nations. Isn't that amazing? And then I read from the European of October 11 to 17, 1991, European community bureaucrats debated, debated a quiet proposal backed by Germany, Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Denmark to make Sunday a compulsory rest. All but essential services would be banned, even lorries. Now that may be a new term to some of us if you haven't been traveling in Europe, for over there they call the trucks lorries. Even lorries could be stopped from using the motorways. Centuries-old Sunday traditions unique to each country would be abandoned. In Germany, the ban on Sunday training or trading is constitutionally enshrined and 82% of the workers do not work on Sundays. A Brussels leader at the signing of the Masoretic Treaty of 1991 said that he would characterize Sunday keeping as the most important part of the treaty. The economist said, God said everyone should have a day off a week. Muslims choose Friday, Jews Saturday, Christians Sunday. But now the European community is pretending to be God. It is about to decree that the ECC citizens must take Sunday off. That's taken from page 16. This is what it's all about, and it's taking place right before our very eyes.
Here we should take and say a word about the GATT Treaty, which was recently accepted by the United States, and I must say, little known to our people. Here is a quotation from Checkpoint, December 1, 1994. Germany has been strongly pushing for a federal religious Sunday law clause to be added to the GATT Treaty, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. The added clause would affect all signatory nations to GATT Treaty to enact and enforce a national Sunday law. Germany has ties with the Vatican and is urgently trying to get this Sunday law proviso added to the GATT Treaty. Germany wants to impose Sunday observance also on the EEC, the European Economic Community. And then listen to this. It is, it is possible that the Sunday law proviso is being urged on the GATT under the unresolved Uruguay Round agreements issues of labor standards in a worker rights bill launched under proposed special study of labor and trade insisted by the United States and several European nations at the newly formed authorized world trade organizations. Here you can see the United States beginning to work for a Sunday law. My dear beloved, it's coming. There's no doubt about it. And let's look at it from another angle. The Christian coalition, which has been so active in the Republican Party, it is now demanding a religious equality amendment. This is a repackaging of the school prayer amendment, and it is based on the Ten Commandments but with the counterfeit Sunday, Sabbath, rest day. Of this, Pat Robinson says, there will never be world peace until God's house and God's people are given their rightful place of leadership at the top of the world. And now hear this. Laws in America that manifest a day of rest, Sunday. And so you can see where everyone is heading. And this is taking place this year before our very eyes. For at this moment, as I am preparing this tape, it is before Congress. This amendment is designed to end 200 years of separation of church and state. The New York Times reported on July 15 of this year that the Christian coalition intends to portray anyone who opposes this amendment as being anti-God. Can you believe it? And this is America? And they will do this by distributing 45 million voter guides to 100,000 churches in America, asking their members to distribute them across the United States. Should this law be passed, you can expect, one,
that government officers and public school teachers will be able to conduct and worship services and pray. Two, that public school students will be subject to the majority religion, be it Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, Mormon, Buddhist, etc. Three, government will be free to declare America a Christian nation and promote and fund the observance of Christian ceremonies. Four, government will be required to finance all church schools and church social programs such as child care, homeless shelters, and feeding programs. Five, churches will be subjected to government regulations, for don't forget, government always regulates what it funds. And now listen to this. I have taken this from the Operation Vampire Killer 2000. This is a booklet put out by this organization composed of police in America who are against the New World Order, and I am reading from page 20. In the June-July 1996, the fourth session of the Provisional World Government Parliament convened with the purpose of the 1996 Parliament to make rapid progress toward the establishment of fundamental world federation and world government under the Constitution for the Federation of Earth. Upon confirmation by 25 countries, a January 1995 manifesto will go into full force and effect. One of the main provisions of the manifesto is to empower a world parliament created and erected under the Constitution for the Federation of Earth, which includes a Bill of Rights only for Earth citizens who are within the Federation of the Earth. Now notice this carefully. A summary by Dr. Kirk E. Cock, professor, lecturer at 100 universities in 65 countries on five continents whose subjects of expertise include the New World Order, occultism, extreme movements, parapsychology. He gives his assessment of this one world government. Listen closely. The system will be made up of a single currency, single finance government, single tax system, single language, single political system, single world court of justice, single head, one individual leader, and single state religion. There it is again. You see it's coming, for he further states, and I quote, each person will have a registered number without which he will not be able to buy or sell. And there will be one universal church 
anyone who refuses to take part in this universal system, and listen to this, will have no right to exist. That's a powerful declaration. But we should not be surprised. Decades ago, Catholicism stated, the religious observance of Sunday will be obligatory under a Catholic world society. Where did I get that? Let me read it to you. Quote, When the time comes and men realize that the social edifice must be rebuilt according to eternal standards, be it tomorrow or be it centuries from now, the Catholics will arrange to suit such standards. They will make obligatory the religious observance of Sunday on the whole of society for its own good, revoking the permit for free thinkers and Jews to celebrate incognito. And the dissenters whom it will tolerate will know its charity, but will not be allowed to disrupt its unity. Now that was taken from The Liberal Illusion by Louis Van Edelow, pages 63 and 64, published by the National Catholic Welfare Conference of Washington, D.C. And listen to this. Now we are finally being told by a world-renowned authority on Roman Catholic activities whose name is Arbo Manhattan, who says that the Vatican created and now controls the United Nations. This is in his book, The Vatican Imperialism of the 20th Century. Concerning the life of individuals under this new world order, you will be amazed. Professor Carol Quigley of the Jesuit Georgetown University, who you perhaps know is the mentor of the United States President, Bill Clinton. And notice what he says that's about to come to every person in the United States, and I'm quoting, freedom and choice will be controlled within very narrow alternatives by the fact that he will be numbered from birth and followed by a number through his educational training, his required military or other public services, his tax contributions, and his final retirement and death benefits." Unquote. And that can be found in the book, One Dare Call It Conspiracy, by Carrie Allen, page 12 and 13. And then comes this. I am t reading to you from a copy of 16 papal articles concerning the new world global system, which was presented at a conference in Kenya, Africa on June 26, 1985, in which it says, the churches shall unite on one day Sunday. That's article 12. And then I read this. If anyone does not recognize or denies the articles of this union, he shall be severely punished with death. 
That's Article 7. The magazine Foy et Ray reported from the United Nations Organization in Geneva, Switzerland, that plans are worked out to make way for a world tribunal which will seize all possessions and all savings and bank deposits. Every man, woman, and child will receive a certain amount of money and a number. Now get the picture, what's coming. Serfdom and slavery. I'm reading on. Everyone with a number will be employed either in the administrative, the commerce, the industrial, or the agricultural branch. This project and this plan provides for a single form of worship. The appointed day for all people will be Sunday. The number received by the people will promise the right to buy and sell. At the end of this statement, a Christian rose and asked the speaker, what happens to the authorities, the minorities, who will not accept this plan? The Christian was told, their number will be canceled with a black line, and they will be deprived of the right to buy or sell, and will be forced to destruction." Unquote. This information was released in a special statement by P.A. Dalsville, who is the president of the Defenders of the American Constitution, who is a retired lieutenant general of the U.S. Army. It was reported in the magazine De Botschaft von Reich in the article One Step Nearer, reported in the November-December 1994 Newswatch. And now, you can see it is going to be very easy for the citizens of this earth to be coerced into observing Sunday by the promise of an identification number to give them the right to buy and sell. And friend, this is exactly what God predicted. I'm reading Revelation 13, 16, and 17. And he caused all, <clears throat> both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the number of the beast or the number of his name. I think Malachi Martin explains it well, and I'm quoting again from him, any religious dogma that controverts papal teaching will be declared a moral wrong. And Pope John's pivotal argument is that anything papal Rome declares a moral wrong will be given no rights under the new world order. And then he finishes, and no religion based on divine revelation has a moral right to teach such a moral wrong or abide by it. 
That is taken from the keys of this blood, page 287. You can see that he is talking expressly about Seventh-day Adventists, for our religion is based entirely on divine revelation. Oh, friend, it's coming. There's a Sunday law, no doubt about it. We should also keep in mind that the New World Order is a part of the Luciferic plan. I am quoting again, the modern-day Luciferian conspiracy to overthrow Christianity and all other religions that will not worship Lucifer is today called the plan, unquote. That's taken from the Illuminati, 666, by William Joseph Sutton, published by the Institute of the Religious Knowledge. And here's another quote taken from the book When Humanity Comes of Age, page 190. There is actually a plan and a purpose behind all creation. World unity is the goal toward which all evolution is moving. The world plan includes a new world organization, a world economy, and then listen, and a world religion, unquote. You know, the Bible speaks in many places about this crisis as being immediately prior to the time of trouble, a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. It's a time when we find the world in the valley of decision, a time of the harvest of the world. Joel 3, 13 and 14 says, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The most fearful and solemn warning that is to be found in all of Scripture is given to us by God and proclaimed by the third reaping angel. Revelation 14, 7. If any man worship the beast, that's the papacy, or his image, that's a religio-political system in America, and receives his mark in his right hand or in his forehead, the keeping of Sunday in order to receive an identification number to buy and sell, the same shall drink of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment hath ascended up forever and ever, and they have no right, no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Ecclesiastic twelve, thirteen and fourteen tells us Fear God, and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, 
and every secret sin, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We must remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for the fourth commandment is the very seal of the living God and a sign that we are his people. In Isaiah 8.16 it tells us, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Both God's word and the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, that has been manifested to us in the end-time messenger, Ellen White. Both have warned of this crisis. The Holy Bible has been telling us this for some 2,000 years, and Ellen White has given us such instruction for over the last 100 years. Jesus is now calling his people out from apostate Christendom who are uniting with the papacy and the kings of this earth in an ecumenical movement for one purpose, to bring about a global Sunday law. No wonder God tells us, come out of Babylon and join his remnant. Revelation 12, 7, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. The final harvest issue demands that we either worship and obey man and their false teachings, or that we worship and obey God and keep his law. And Paul states it very emphatically in these words, we ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29 <clears throat> If we consent to keep Sunday, we will receive the mark of the beast. If we choose to honor God and keep his precious Sabbath day, we will receive the seal of God. There are only two sides, as there always have been, and there will be no fence-sitters. Today, while Jesus is still ministering in the most holy place within the heavenly sanctuary as our high priest, pleading his blood, in our behalf before the Father. We must be awake to realize that mercy will soon cease. It will happen when he leaves the sanctuary and the most awful plagues of God's anger will be poured out upon those who receive the mark of the beast. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10 The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, right now, this moment, I must ask you, will you join me in choosing to love our Creator who made us and who died for us and who is now offering to save us from sin and to give us life everlasting. He wants to write his law upon our minds by his sweet spirit so that we may be able to keep holy the Sabbath that he blessed when he created and made this world. If we will do this, Hebrews 4, 7-9 tells us, 
There remaineth therefore a rest, a keeping of the Sabbath to the people of God. And 1 John 2, 17 tells us, The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Praise God! Jesus is coming soon to put an end to this great conflict. And instead of this sin-sick world, a world of force, we will be given eternal life in a sinless world, a world of freedom to live and reign with our Savior, a place where life will be forever filled with love, joy, happiness, freedom, the friendship of God and His Son. No more sorrow or pain or tears. Those who know and love God with all their heart their mind and soul, who live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, who walk by faith and not by sight, who trust God and live to honor Him by letting Jesus live His life in them, by obeying His law and keeping His Sabbath. They will be sealed with the seal of the living God and gain the victory over the beast and over His image and over his mark, and over the number of his name. Revelation 15, 2. They will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Revelation 24. And so, this is why I have preached this solemn message. I can not do otherwise. For I read in Great Controversy, page 317, The Lord gives us special truth for the people in an emergency. Who dare to refuse to publish it? He commends his servants to present the last invitation of mercy to the world. They cannot remain silent except at the peril of their souls. Christ's ambassadors have nothing to do with consequences. They must perform their duty and leave the results with God. Yes, friend, these are fearful facts that I have presented. But remember, the promise of God. I am reading Isaiah 35, 3-4. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for these thrilling words of promise, enabling us to be strong, and fearless. May we not forget that the purpose of the second coming is to save us from this satanic power of a new world order. And we thank you for the promise of deliverance. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
to 